Now, some folks, they will want to argue, and it's like, you know, why are you arguing with people who don't know what they're talking about? First of all, is the person worthy of the time you're giving them that is causing you to be frustrated out because of their ignorance? If you are allowing other people's ignorance to cause you frustration while you're trying to debate, then whose problem is that? You better learn how to shake the dust. Shalom, saints, and welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the gospel according to Matthew. I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. Was the last supper Yeshua ate with his disciples on the night he was betrayed, the Passover meal commanded by the Torah, or was it just that, Yeshua's last supper with his disciples? Many people today seem to be confused about this event. As a result of their confusion, they argue, debate, and perpetuate their confusions, causing babes in the faith to be confused, all because of a verse here or there containing statements Yeshua made to his disciples and interpretations of translators. In this portion of Matthew's Gospel narrative, we will investigate the conversations, dialogue, and language of the Gospel narrative of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to point out the important statements that will help determine and answer that very important question of whether the Last Supper Yeshua ate with his disciples was the Passover meal. In this teaching, we will join in with Yeshua and his disciples' discussions and discern what was said and done as they shared their Last Supper together. The message title in this podcast is The Last Supper and Passover, Part 1. So, let's study. So today we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 26, we're in verse 17 through verse 36, and we're going to be talking about the Last Supper and Passover. And when I sent out our email this week, the question was, was the Last Supper Yeshua ate with his disciples on the night he was betrayed, the Passover meal commanded by the Torah, or was it just that, Yeshua's Last Supper? that he ate with his disciples. Many people today seem to be confused about this event. And as a result of their confusion, they argue, they debate, and perpetuate their confusions, causing babes in the faith to be confused, all because of a verse here or there containing statements Yeshua made to his disciples and interpretations of translators. And the reason... I put certain emphasis on certain things is because whether you recognize it or not, you are an influencer and a teacher. You may not be aware of the things you teach, but if you think about it as children growing up, we paid a lot of attention to things going on around us. We learned things from what we saw, even though those who were doing those things intentions weren't to teach us. We just pick things up. We, as a species, have a tendency to watch what people do. We also, as a species, seems to give more credence to what people say. And the scripture, which is the opposite of us, teaches us, you'll judge a tree not by how it speaks, 
but by his fruit. And because some of us have ignored the fruit, we have found ourselves in situations where if we had paid attention, we would not have been in those situations in the first place. In fact, I've had to acknowledge the fact that there are certain things that screamed at me that I just ignored because of where my heart was and what I wanted. There are things that we want and we put our energy in obtaining those things, whether those things are what Father wants for us or not. In fact, sometimes the things we pursue are not the things that he wants for us. There are other times we put demands on him for things for him to do that he's saying, no, you don't want me to do that. Just like the children of Israel, they desired a king. He says, no, I'm your king. And so we have to be mindful of the fact that a lot of what we experience or go through in our lives, especially as adults, are of our own doing. In this portion of Matthew's gospel narratives, we're going to investigate the conversation, the dialogue and language of the gospel narratives of, of Matthew. And I was going to pull in Mark, Luke, but as I began to put all of these PowerPoints together and collect my notes and the things that I wanted to communicate, I, I found myself having more PowerPoints than I wanted to deal with because Part of my keeping within a certain period of time says that I can only have a certain amount of PowerPoint. So I numbered them. <laughs> and I had too many, so I had to kind of, you know, narrow some things down and streamline it. And as a result, instead of uh, looking at what Mark and Luke has to say, we're going to look at what Matthew and John has to say, because Matthew, Mark, and Luke they're saying some of the same things. And as we look at them, we're going to point out the important statements that will help determine and answer the very important question of whether the last supper Yeshua ate with his disciples was actually the Passover meal. And so we're going to join in with Yeshua and his disciples discussion and discern what was said and done as they shared their last supper together. There are times as we're looking at scripture, we have to not only pay attention to what is said, but also look at what is not being said so that when we read into the scriptures, something that is not there, we be more aware of what we may believe and have been taught versus what is actually written. And this is where I think I and others have made some mistakes when it comes down to the proper interpretation of the text. And if we don't have a proper interpretation of the text, we're going to employ and apply our interpretation in our doing. And so we'll find ourselves, if we got the wrong information, we'll be doing some of the wrong things. Verse 17, Matthew 26. Now the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread the disciples came to Yeshua saying unto him, where wilt thou that we prepare for thee to eat the Passover? Now, remember when I, especially in our uh, minister's training course and from time to time, as I'm teaching, 
I talk about when I read the Bible, I ask questions. I'm constantly asking questions, and there's certain things when I read them, if they don't make sense to me, I've got some investigation to do. I can't just take things at face value because the more I read and the more I study, I see that there are things that seemingly contradict each other, but with further study, come to realize that it's an addition to, or it helps me to see the broader picture instead of the narrow picture of one individual's writings. This is one of the reasons why Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospel. That's a theological term that tells us that Matthew, Mark, and Luke have a tendency to write about some of the same things more than John. And John say things Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't say. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke says things that is not in John. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke are more in sync, which has caused some to believe that they may have copied each other. Now, here's what we know. That Matthew nor Mark, I mean, Mark nor Luke, followed Yeshua. Mark was not a disciple of Yeshua. You don't see him ever mentioned when Yeshua talks about the 12, his name is not in that list. Luke, his name is not in that list. And yet, Mark and Luke share information with us that they could not have been eyewitnesses of because the passages tell us who was there when these things took place. For instance, we know that the disciples that were with Yeshua at this portion of Matthew was the 12. Mark is not here. Luke is not here. So how do they know these things? They investigated. And now they have the responsibility to take their investigations and put them in some form of succinct order that somehow seemingly align with Matthew, who seemingly, who was a witness there. But then here we are some 2,000 years removed looking at the English translations of what occurred among some Hebrew brothers that have been passed down to us from the Catholic Latin-speaking community and the Greek-speaking community translated into the English language. And so we cannot take certain things at face value when they seem to go against what we know. Now, a person who doesn't know the Torah they will never see this. A person who has not read and understand the feasts, this would not even register. But anyone who knows the Torah, anyone who has celebrated Passover and celebrated the Feast of Unleavened Bread, know that there's a specific order in which things are done. And so this passage now the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Yeshua saying unto him, where will thou we prepare to eat the Passover? This passage puts Passover after unleavened bread. 
Does it not? Look at it. The first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread is the 15th of Eve. The 15th of the modern Nisan. The Passover is on the 14th. So how can the 14th day come after the 15th day unless there's some fuzzy math going on here? So that automatically, because I know the 14th day at evening is the Passover and the unleavened bread doesn't, doesn't start until when? The 15th. So flags. I don't even have to question this. It's just, it's jumping at me, begging for me to address it. So in order to understand this passage, according to the law, one must know what the law commanded and compare it to what is written in this passage to determine if what is being done is in accordance to what is written. Yeshua had already stated in verse one at the beginning of this chapter that he would be crucified on the Passover. This is what it says in Matthew 26, verse one and two. And it came to pass when Yeshua had finished all these sayings, he said unto his disciples, you know that after two days is the feast of the Passover. And the son of man is betrayed to be crucified. So when is the son of man betrayed to be crucified? On the Passover. Paul stated that Yeshua was our Passover in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. Purge out therefore the old leaven that you may be a new lump. As you are unleavened, for even Messiah, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Now, we're going to look at some passages, some verses, that a Christian, a person who rejects the law, a person who rejects Torah, these things wouldn't make sense to them, so what do they do? They spiritualize them. They associate unleaven, unleaven or leaven with sin. How many of you know that when... Father established the Feast of Unleavened Bread, it wasn't because of sin. Unleavened Bread was a feast that for seven days the Almighty commanded them to eat bread without leaven as a commemoration of the fact that they left Egypt in haste and they didn't have time for their dough to rise. And every year, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread took them back where? To Egypt. And why? so that they would remember the powerful and mighty deliverance of the Most High. And I can tell you from my perspective and from our perspective that when you look at the world power, I mean, today we have the United States, seemingly Russia and China, <laughs> as the superpowers of the world. But in the day of the children of Israel, Egypt was the superpower. The most powerful person who reigned or lived was the Pharaoh of Egypt and Jehovah's people were in bondage there. And he came in. Now, when you look at this picture, he came in through a person named Moses who came with words. <laughs> Moses came to Egypt with words spoke to Pharaoh, and the Almighty backed Moses up, took 600,000 plus men and women and children and a multitude no man could number out of the clutches of the most powerful person in the earth, 
without firing a shot. Not one arrow was fired. Not one, one fist. Not one engagement with Israel and Egypt whatsoever. So what do we see? We see the Almighty delivering his people out of the clutches of the most powerful nation. Can he do it again? So what is he saying to us? There is no kingdom, no king, no power on earth more powerful than the all-powerful one we serve. I'm telling you, that ought to give you some serious confidence as you look at the world around you and the confusion that this world is in. The only thing that keeps us from being confused is his word. And for the most part, the confused world rejected and say, we confused. <laughs> Talk about the pot calling the kettle black. The people in the insane ward of the hospital is saying that the people outside those doors are the crazy ones. <laughs> the Passover was not about forgiveness of sin. Had nothing to do with the forgiveness of Israel's sin, but about redemption of the firstborn. In the case of the first Passover, Israel was Jehovah's firstborn as written in Exodus 4.22. He told Moses to tell Pharaoh, and thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, thus said Jehovah, Israel is my son. And so what is he saying? A nation of people is my son. A nation of people is my son. This is why it's not uncommon for any of us to say, I am the son of God. I am the, well, you, I'm not, you, you know, you ladies, you're the daughters of God. And we can claim him as our father because he claims us as his children. And as his children, we now enter into that firstborn status, which says that just as he showed himself powerful and mighty to Pharaoh, he will show himself powerful and mighty to anyone who tries to take us into captivity or into bondage. Now, he won't stop you from going into captivity. He's given us his word so that we don't go back into captivity. But even if we do go back into captivity and cry out to him, he'll come and get us again. He's demonstrated this over and over and over in the scriptures. And sometimes, hopefully, we wise up. Stop going back into bondage. Get free. Stay free. And walk in your freedom. The Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world was connected to Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement. When Yeshua came and said I, that, you know, well, when John said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That wasn't a Passover lamb. That was a Yom Kippur goat. Now, some folks don't like calling Yeshua a goat, but anyone who knows anything about atonement know that in order for atonement to occur on the day of atonement, it wasn't a sheep that was sacrificed. It was a kid of the goat. 
And so it's the goat that is atoned for sin. And Yeshua, according to scripture, Passover could be a sheep or a goat. I'm getting ahead of myself. Leviticus 16, 15 says, Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring his blood within the veil and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. Now the blood of the bullock was for the atonement of the priests and his family so that he could now go and sacrifice the goat, take the blood of the goat into the place of the altar or the ark sprinkle it, and this would be the atonement for the sins of the nation. And he shall make an atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgression and all their sins, and so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remaineth among them in the midst of their uncleanness. According to Exodus chapter 12, verse 5, the Passover lamb could be taken from the sheep or the goat. This is what it says. Now, here's where tradition, see, tradition causes people to every Passover put a little lamb on their pages, you know, in the social media. Any advertisement about Passover is generally associated with a lamb, a sheep. But according to scripture, a goat can be sacrificed for Passover. And so we started having sheep and goat at our Passover when we were serving and coming together. And most people had never experienced goat for Passover because their tradition meant that they eat sheep. Now, our customs here as Americans, you can go into practically any grocery store in America and find lamb. You would be hard pressed to go at a lot of grocery stores to find goat. Why? Because goat is not something that is commonly eaten by Americans. It's usually people outside of America that eat goat. So now our traditions, our culture, and all of these things affect how we see the scripture. I remember the first time I brought goat in, folks was like, because, you know, most Christians have already, based on Matthew chapter 25, developed that goats are sinful. Goat nations, you're either a sheep nation or a goat nation. That goats are associated more with evil and sheep are associated more with righteousness. You see how that thinking is developed by religion and tradition. And it causes us to introduce those traditions and religious belief systems into what we read. And then it manifests itself in our action. So most people, when they celebrate Passover, eat what? Lamb. The lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. That's what's written. Here's what's written in Leviticus 23, verses 5 through 8. Now, I'm going through all of this before we go through Matthew, because if you don't have this reference, what I'm about to share with you in Matthew, you will argue. Not you all, because y'all have been trained, but 
there are folks out there who don't have a clue and I have to be mindful of them. In the 14th day of the first month at even is the Lord's Passover. So when is the Passover? The 14th day of the first month at even. Verse six, and on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread unto the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. Now, some people, depending on how you count your days and when the day starts, gets all mixed into that because some people believe that Passover is the evening of the 13th. And that the whole day of the 14th, that the 14th starts at sunset on the evening of the 13th. And between the 13th evening and morning is the 14th day at even. <laughs> That's a weird way of calculating, but there are people out there who do. And they say that Passover the entire day is Passover. The Passover don't begin at sunset on the 13th. The Passover is not a day, it's a sacrifice. It's not a day. There are people who believe, based on their teachings, that the 14th day is a Sabbath day, even identifying it as a day of preparation in the sense that it's a holy day, the whole day, whereas the scripture doesn't say anything in proximity or, or in connection to that. The 14th at evening is when the Passover is to be sacrificed. The Passover is a sacrifice. It is not a day. It is not the day of Passover. It is the day that the Passover takes place at evening. And then at sunset begins the 15th day which is the first day of unleavened bread and a Sabbath day. In the first day, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein, and you shall offer an offering made by fire unto Jehovah seven days. In the seventh day is a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein. So we see that the unleavened bread goes for seven days. According to what is written in the law, the Passover is the 14th day of Aviv at evening or right before sundown. At sundown, the first day of unleavened bread commences. Unleavened bread does not come before Passover, according to scripture. So there's something wrong with the verse we read in Matthew that now they're going to prepare the Passover on the first day of unleavened bread. At best, I suspect it's a translation issue. The disciples would not have come to Yeshua on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread asking him about the Passover because the Passover would be over. Some argue that during that time, Unleavened Bread and Passover was all together. And there is a place in Scripture, and I didn't pull it in, I'll just mention it, that there were people who would come up before the Passover for the purpose of purifying and sanctifying and, and going through all the mikvahs and, and all of those kinds of things. But even that was not required. You see, when religion gets involved in the word, 
it starts introducing and adding. That's what religion does. Religion adds to the word. And next thing you know, you got traditions, things that people do. And over a period of time of doing it, then it becomes what we are supposed to do. Why? Because everybody's doing it. Well, what is written? Because if we stick with what is written, we will find ourselves not at the mercy bound by traditions of men, because this is what occurred during the time of Messiah. And because he wouldn't bow down to those traditions, he became a problem. If that was the case, that unleavened bread and Passover was all together, that Passover now was just drawn into unleavened bread versus the other way around. Passover is over when unleavened bread begins. So there would be a problem because according to Deuteronomy 4.2, you shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall you diminish off from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. So now I'm required here to give you just a real quick history lesson on the Passover. And this is where you might want to write these passages down and then go home and, and search these things out. Now, maybe you won't have to search them out because they're already part of your DNA. But if you don't, if not, then I would encourage you to just go over these PowerPoints and maybe even this teaching a few times if you feel comfortable or led. And I guarantee every time you go through it, you're going to see something that you may not have, have seen the first time. Deuteronomy 16.5. Thou mayest not sacrifice the Passover with, within any of thy gates, which Jehovah your God giveth thee. Now pay attention to verse 6. But at the place. Now here's where the place. Where is the place? Because the place would be where he puts his name. And where was his ark? Where was the holy place? The most holy place. It was the tabernacle. Before there was a temple erected in Jerusalem, the place was wherever the tabernacle was. Now, somehow people transfer the place to Jerusalem well, if you're going to transfer it, it would be the temple. The temple replaced the tabernacle. The tabernacle was mobile. It went around and around and around in the desert until Joshua led the people into the land of Israel. And for a long time, it was nowhere near Jerusalem. But at the place which Jehovah your Elohim shall choose to place his name in. There thou shalt sacrifice the Passover at evening. Now, what does it say? Because the Passover is to be a sacrifice. The sacrifice cannot just be anywhere. It had to be at a certain place. Now, do you think that during the time of Yeshua, everybody in their own homes sacrifice their Passover lamb at their house. So where do we find the disciples sacrificing the Passover to be eaten? From the Exodus to Joshua, 
Israel kept the Passover in the wilderness. In Joshua 5, after crossing the Jordan into the land of Canaan, soon to be Israel, Joshua circumcised the whole nation of Israel and celebrated the Passover in the plains of Jericho, which is the last recorded celebration of Passover in the Bible until Hezekiah. And I was quite surprised to find that. Because what it says when I look up Passover, and if you do a word search on Passover, you'll see that it jumps from Joshua to Second Kings and then First Chronicles. And during the time of Second Kings and First Chronicles, we're going to see that the two kings that do Passover is Hezekiah and Josiah. What about Saul, David, Solomon, and all the kings prior? How did they do the Passover? There is no evidence whatsoever of a how. We believe they did, but there is no passage showing us what they did. Now, we find the dedication of the temple. We see tabernacles. Solomon, there's references to Solomon celebrating the dedication of the temple and then tabernacle, but there's no reference from Joshua all the way to 2 Chronicles, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 1 Kings. Actually, it's 2 Kings and 1 Chronicles where there's actually a reference to Passover. And that's important. And why would it be important? Because prior to then, what we have is Joshua celebrating the Passover in the plains of Jericho. And Joshua would celebrate the Passover based on how he had been had seen Passover being celebrated while they sojourned in the, in the wilderness while Moses was alive. And when we look at, there were specific things that were required for the Passover to be celebrated. And it doesn't tell us the process by which it was done, but the information that we have from Josiah, from Hezekiah, and then from Ezra gives us the impression. And here's what we're going to look at. By the time Yeshua comes on the scene, Passover has undergone many changes from the tabernacle to the temple, the instructions on what was to be done, how it was to be done had also undergone some changes. Now what was being done was still implemented. But you remember, I told you all that during the instruction that the almighty gave to Moses, there was not one instruction for the priest to be doing any music in the tabernacle, any singing, there was no command. So what happened? David implemented some worship music, if you would, some praise music, if you would. Well, what happened prior to David? If we look at what is commanded, did they not worship? There's all kinds of references and examples to worship. And we come to realize from those examples that worship was a posture, a position, and it had nothing to do with music. Today, 
Most people can't worship without music. How did that happen? It's not according to what is commanded. People do what feels good to them. People do what they like. And then they use references in the Bible to support it, even to the point of trying to argue that this is commanded by the Almighty. And I asked him, well, where is it commanded? Show me a commandment. Don't show me a practice. Show me a command. Because just because you practice something don't mean the Almighty commanded it or even require it. Now, what does he require? Because that's clear. And come to find out that what he requires may not necessarily be practice, but people are practicing stuff he don't require. You see how they've replaced? <laughs> Some folks getting upset at me right now. But all I say is, you know, if you got an issue with what I'm saying, just bring some scripture to a brother. I have no problem, you know, changing my perspective, but don't bring your feelings because they might get hurt. So Passover had undergone many changes. Corruption set in amongst the priests and the people and the temple fell into disarray until the time of Hezekiah. Now we'll see if you do a word search in the Bible about Passover, that the first reference before Hezekiah would be Jer Josiah. Josiah didn't come before Hezekiah. Josiah came after Hezekiah. So how does Josiah's reference of Passover get in the Bible before Hezekiah's reference? Because the people who are maneuvering and moving and putting Bibles in order in the content, in the table of content, <laughs> You see, understand this, brothers and sisters, the prophets, the Psalms was a bunch of scrolls. The Almighty did not put the Bible together. He didn't put the Bible together and hand down the King James Version from heaven. Theologians got together, took the scrolls, and tried to put them in some kind of biblical order, which is how we get a table content, broke them down into chapters and verses. And we know that looking at the order that the books are in, it seems as if some people came before others when in fact they came after them. And if our learning, whereas we're memorizing the books of the Bible, I remember we had to remember, I don't know if you came from that type of denomination, but we had to memorize the books of the Bible. And then we had to quote them from memory to see if we learned them. And those were moments of pride, especially when folks you know had issues with you couldn't remember them in the correct order. And you stand up, man, you rattle them off like you got them. And the way we remember them is typically the way we think their order was. And so you got Jeremiah long after Ezra. Jeremiah lived before Ezra. Ezra came after the captivity. Jeremiah went into the captivity. So how could Jeremiah be after Ezra? Now, some folks, they will want to argue, and it's like, you know, why are you arguing with people who don't know what they're talking about? First of all, is the person worthy of the time you're giving them that is causing you to be frustrated out 
because of their ignorance. If you are allowing other people's ignorance to cause you frustration while you're trying to debate, then whose problem is that? You better learn how to shake the dust. And the quicker you learn that, because I'm at a place in my life, if a person is not open to reason, to have a logical discussion, not a debate, and being as open to learn, because whenever I have a conversation with people, if you show me something I didn't know, I have no problem changing. If you point out to me, that's how I got from the Lord to Yahweh to Jehovah. See, you go back in some of my teachings and you'll find Yahweh. <laughs> but I don't do that anymore. Why? Because I've come to realize based on the references and things that I ignored. So I'm not going to get into a debate with somebody who uses Yahweh or Yahuwah or whatever names they use. Because the bottom line is I can do more proof from my documentation, which they use, except for when it comes down to the name. Everything else fits, but not the name, because, you know, somebody that brilliantly came up with a different sound. And hey, it's like, hey, if that's where you are, we're not going to fight over that. It's not even worth a, a debate or an argument. You use what you feel is his name. I use what I feel is his name. And let's keep it moving. But you got people who will argue and be ready to cut your head off. It's like, you know what? I think I'll keep my head today and move on. So until Hezekiah, the temple fell in dis disarray. After Solomon, all hell broke loose. Now, you know as well as I do, David married some folks and some things began to happen. Solomon married some folks, started building high places. But even when he allowed those wives to build high places, the temple, you know, was the focal point. But yet and still he allowed those high places to exist. After Solomon, man, all kinds of things begin to happen. You got evil kings, holy kings. And so when Hezekiah came in onto the picture, Hezekiah reopened the temple, repaired their doors, restored the priests and the Levites, and consecrated the temple. In the second month, Israel celebrated the Passover that year. That's what we find in 2 Chronicles chapter 30. And Hezekiah sent to all of Israel and Judah and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover unto the Lord God of Israel. For the king had taken counsel and his princes and all the congregation in Jerusalem to keep the Passover in the second month. Why the second month? Because the first month, if for whatever reason someone was unable to keep the Passover, the Torah allowed that they would be able to keep it in the second month. Well, there's a reason why they don't keep it in the first month during Hezekiah. In verse 3, it says, For they could not keep it at that time because the priests had not sanctified themselves sufficiently. What's the priest got to do with the Passover? If you could sacrifice the Passover at your house in Jerusalem, the priest would have no role in that. But according to Scripture, the priest does have a role. And the priest ain't coming to your house to sacrifice your Passover for you. You go to where the priest is. 
because the priests had not sanctified themselves sufficiently, neither had the people gathered themselves together to Jerusalem. So there's some issue going on during the time of Jeremiah. The kingdoms have been divided. Other high places have been, been established. People were keeping Passover here. People were keeping Passover there. Hezekiah came. He found the place. This is how we're supposed to do it. He reinstituted. The temple had fell into disarray. The doors were off the hinge. <laughs> it was just a mess. And the priests had backslid. After Hezekiah died, Israel returned to idolatry for 88 years until the time of Josiah. During the time of Josiah, like Hezekiah, the Passover was prepared by the priests at the temple and distributed to the people. Here's what we find in 2 Chronicles 35.1. Moreover, Josiah kept the Passover unto the Lord in Jerusalem, and they killed the Passover on the what? 14th day of the first month. And he set the priests in their charge and encouraged them to the service of the house of the Lord. That's the place. Jump down to verse 10. So the service was prepared and the priests stood in their place and the Levites in their courses according to the king's commandment. And they killed and they who the priests, the Levites killed the Passover. And the priests sprinkled the blood from their hands. Now I want you to get them. If you read between verses one and verse 10, you're going to see that there are thousands and thousands of animals. Can you imagine the amount of blood? It's a lot of blood. And that blood had to properly be disposed of. So they killed the Passover and the priests poured or placed or dumped or sprinkled the blood from their hands. And the Levites flayed them. Flayed what? The Passover. Why? Because once the lamb is killed, now you got to, take off the, you know, the skin. You got to remove the entrails. You got to do all of the things that are required before it can be placed on the altar to be burned or cooked. And they removed the burnt offerings that they might give according to who? The divisions of the families of the people. So all the people are coming. They're bringing their sacrifice or it is provided for them. And now they're according to their division and the families. And they, to offer unto the Lord, as it is written in the book of Moses. And so did they with the oxen and they roasted the Passover with the fire, according to the ordinance, but the other holy offering sods, they in pots. Why? Because the Passover had to be roasted. It could not be sodden. So they're following the order, the instructions, the commands that Jehovah gave them and in the pants, and then divided them speedily among all the people. So I'm going to tell you, the Passover was a very busy time, both in the tabernacle and in the temple, because they got to roast them and divide them, roast them and divide it among the people, roast them and give it to the people. And now the people can eat together. But there's a lot of roasting and I would dare say that after the place where the offerings were, was more than one. And you'd have to see that when, when we get into where Solomon now, when he builds a temple, there's more than one menorah. <laughs> there, there is a lot going on. Why? Because the priesthood has continued to expand. 
the numbers of the Levites continued to grow. And David had to say, you know what? All the Levites can't serve at one time. So he created divisions. And now they've got a schedule in which they operate in. But while they were in the wilderness, it was not that way. But again, things changed. After Josiah's death, Israel fell back into idolatry. And 23 years later, were carried into Babylonian captivity. So from that time on, no Passover, no Passover, no Passover during the 70 years in captivity and no Passover until after they had returned and rebuilt and rededicated the temple. And we know that didn't go according to Nehemiah's plan. So the next celebration of Passover was after the Babylonian captivity, more than 70 years later after the completion of the temple, Ezra six eighteen. And they set the priests in their divisions and the Levites in their courses for the service of Elohim, which is at Jerusalem, as it is written in the book of Moses. Now I was just here. Here we see that Ezra has now come on the scene. And in verse 18, he, after the king that released them, that was prophesied by Cyrus. After Cyrus had given them all of the instruments that they had taken into Babylon, returned, and then made decrees that the Persians provide everything that the children of Israel needed in order to perform the sacrifices that was required according to Jehovah. And it's one of those few places where a non-Israelite was called a Messiah chosen by Jehovah as his anointed one to carry out his duties in releasing the children of Israel and instructing them to go and do the work of Jehovah. And so Ezra, now as they set the priests in their divisions and the Levites in their courses for the service of God, which is at Jerusalem, as it is written in the book of Moses, verse 19, and the children of the captivity kept the Passover when? On the 14th day of the first month. So everywhere we see in the Bible that the Passover is celebrated, it is on what day? The first day. I mean, it's on the 14th day of the month. Not the first day of unleavened bread. For the priests and the Levites were purified together. All of them were pure. Why did they have to be pure? Because they were serving in the place of Jehovah, in the temple. All of them were pure and killed the Passover for all the children of the captivity. So who's killing the people's Passover? It's the priests. And kill the Passover for all the children of the captivity and for their brethren, the priests, and for themselves. Verse 21, and the children of Israel, which were come again out of captivity and all such as had separated themselves unto them from the filthiness of the heathen of the land to seek the Lord God of Israel, did eat and kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy. For the Lord had made them joyful and turned the heart of the king of Assyria unto them to strengthen their hands in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. So the role of the priests and Levites were critical during the Passover. 
and the seven days of unleavened bread. The dates had to be accurate according to Jehovah's commands as written in the book of Moses. And the priests performing the sacrifices had to do all things on their right day. They couldn't do the uh, Passover on the day of unleavened bread. It had to be done on the 14th day. They couldn't do Yom Kippur on the day of trumpets. It had to be done on the 10th day. You see, everything had to be done on its day. Why? Because the Almighty commanded it. Leviticus 23, 37. These are the feasts of Jehovah, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations to offer an offering made by fire unto Jehovah, a burnt offering and a meat offering, a sacrifice and drink offering. What? Everything upon his day. Not his as, as Jehovah, but his as the day he appointed it. Everything had to be done on the day it was appointed. The Sabbath offering had to be done on the Sabbath. The morning offerings had to be done in the morning. The evening offerings had to be done in the evening. Every feast day had to be done on its appointed day. And this is why we count the months. This is why we need to know when is the first of the month. Can't follow a Gregorian calendar when it comes down to the days of Jehovah, because his days is not set by some scientific calculation. His day is set by the new moon. And that's when we begin the count. Now, I know that science and NASA and all these folks have been able to project all within a matter of moments. And it has moved people off of actually looking for the new moon because they got the scientific calculation. And we go through it every year because people want to know what day to get off from work so that they can keep the Passover. Like we told them last year, well, we won't know until the new moon. Now they can go to some websites and find the dates. And on those websites, they'll say, well, if it doesn't happen on this day, then it's this day. So every year, even though they find the dates, they still don't know. They got to wait until that time before they can actually determine it. And what some people do, because, you know, they've got pressures on them from their employment, they write in the days, say, hey, these are the days I need. And then if they fall short, they got to cut off the feast days to go back to work. <laughs> you see. The children of Israel did have that issue. According to the passages in biblical history, we looked at the Passover sacrifice had to be made by the priests at the appointed place and distributed amongst the people. That brings us to the Passover in this passage. If Yeshua is the Passover, he would have to be sacrificed on the Passover at the hands of the priests. If he's the Passover. Now, anyone who claims him to be the Passover then to claim him to be the Passover means that he had to be sacrificed when? On the Passover, not the third day of unleavened bread, not the first day of unleavened bread, but on the Passover. Now let's look at this passage with all of that history. And he said, go into the city to such a man and say unto him, the master said, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at thy house, at thy house with my disciples. Now, here's what you may not know. The house that the disciples went to, they remained at that house until beyond the resurrection 
because it was at that house that Yeshua first appeared to them and they were in there with the doors locked. So they stayed there throughout the duration of unleavened bread, Passover, and beyond after the resurrection, two weeks at least, because a week later he showed up again. <laughs> right? Now the question is, here's what he said. My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at thy house. Now here's the thing. Can they sacrifice the Passover at that house? Not, not according to all the passages we just read. So how could he eat the Passover? But let's not stop there. The word Passover, and I want to throw this out at you because I'm going to hit something. The Paschal sacrifice, that's what Passover is. It's a sacrifice. It's not a day. The Paschal sacrifice, the Paschal lamb or the Passover and that number two, the Paschal lamb, i.e. the lamb the Israelites were accustomed to slay and eat on the 14th day of the month of Nisan. Now, the Israelites were commanded to do that on the 14th day of Aviv. When they went to Babylon, they left Aviv in Babylon, if you would, the name. But how many of you know that Aviv is not the name of a month? I know we call it the name of a month, but Aviv is the condition of a crop. It's the condition of a crop. So the condition of the crop has to coincide with the new moon in order for it to be the month of the Passover or the month of Aviv. It is the month the crop is in a specific condition when the new moon appears. Now you got the first month. But notice... This usage, that's what I wanted to get at, at the bottom of the page. Passover 28 times, Easter once. So the church changed the Passover to Easter, gave its own day, and separated it from the Passover. And there's some ignorant Christians out there who are following church tradition, and they got the nerve to tell me, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you see, some people aren't worth arguing with, especially when they display their ignorance. How are you going to argue with an ignorant person without being ignorant? You display your ignorance when you argue with an ignorant person. Well, brother, we're trying to teach them. Well, you know, if they're teachable, then that's fine. But you know most of them people you argue with ain't teachable. They've already displayed they ain't teachable. They don't want to hear what you got to say. And the moment you get close to disputing what they say, they change the subject on you. Going on to something else. Just keep throwing you off from one loop to another loop. And there you go, just following right behind them. Well, no. You got better things to do with your time with people who are interested in hearing what you got to say. But you won't know that as long as you're arguing with ignorant people. By the time they finish with you, just like the Bible tells you, you know, the, the role of the devil is to wear out the saints. And you know how the devil wear out the saints? He send them ignorant people to argue with. And they get, whoa, out, tired, man, that drained me. <laughs> yeah. So this verse now notice what it says in 19, and the disciples did as Yeshua had appointed them, and they made ready the Passover. 
They made ready the Passover. What did that require? Them making ready the Passover. Because making ready the Passover and eating the Passover is two separate things. We make ready for the Passover as soon as we recognize we're in the right month. We start getting things in order. And the priests don't wait till the last minute to get ready for Passover. It's a process. They got to get everybody in line, get everything ready, prepare themselves for the people, get themselves ready. The people now come in and they're getting ready. And there's a lot of activity that is going on. You got folks out there in the, in the courtyard selling stuff. Folks coming to get their money exchanged. They're wanting to buy. They left. They traveled too far. They couldn't bring their stuff with them. They sold it, exchanged it for money, comes to Jerusalem. And now, you know, this becomes a place where all form of merchandising is taking place. Remember, Yeshua goes in and he overturns the money changers and he kick out those who sold doves and those kinds of things. So these things were being done because you got hundreds of thousands of people. And by the time of Yeshua, millions coming up to Jerusalem in preparation for Passover. It's a lot of activity. So this verse leads one to believe that what they are about to engage in is the Passover meal. But is it? The verse states they made ready. Now, when the even was come, he sat down with the twelve. And as they did eat. Now, this verse seems to indicate, well, if they made ready for the Passover, then they must be eating the Passover. You see how you read into it? If they made ready the Passover, now they're sitting down to eat the Passover, then they must get, be ready to eat the Passover. But where is the Passover? Because in his day, it required the actual slaughtering of a lamb. In our day, because we can't slaughter the lamb, we just go to the grocery store and buy some, buy some meat. But that's not how they did it then. There actually had to be a lamb slaughtered. And it had to be done, it seems, at the hand of the priest. And that would be done in the temple court where the brazen altar is. And as they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. So they are eating, but what are they eating? Yeshua ate his last meal before his crucifixion with his disciples. It just so happened to be a supper, the evening meal. That's what he ate. Was it the Passover day? No. Well, wait a minute, brother. That, that, that doesn't seem, to, well, let's, let's just keep going. Now, if he had ate the breakfast, it would have been the last breakfast. The Lord's breakfast, as what the church would be calling it. If it was lunch, it'd be the Lord's, the Lord's lunch. <laughs> it just so happened it was an evening meal. So it was the Last Supper. It was the Last Supper, which is why many refer to this meal as the Lord's Supper. It was an evening meal, not a breakfast or lunch, but a supper. Verse 22, and they were exceeding sorrowful and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? And he answered and said, now, seem like I missed something there. Oh, as he sat to eat, he said, verily, one of you will betray me. And they were exceeding sorrowful and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? 
And he answered and said, He that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. The Son of Man goeth as it is written of him, but woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. Now with those words and Judas, because see, you got to understand something. Judas was chosen. Now, some would argue that Judas could not have changed his mind. And yet we see that there was a change when he threw those 30 pieces of silver. It wasn't enough of a change, but Yeshua spoke, he says, for that man who's going to betray me, it'd be better if he had not been born. Which means that when Judas gave himself in to or allowed the enemy in to do what the enemy came to do, he came to do this, steal, kill, and destroy. Some people are fortunate or blessed, however you want to say it, who backslide and are able to find their way back. A lot of folks don't. It is a mystery to see someone so zealous for the things of Jehovah to have an incident or situation happen to them that destroy their faith. It's unfortunate that these things happen. This is why we shouldn't give place to the devil because you may have been able to do that a couple of times and find your way back, but you can't be playing with the devil like that because he don't play. He ain't playing with you. He may, he may toy around with you with how he hooked you, but the whole goal is to get you hooked. That's amazing how that's a term used, getting hooked, men getting hooked. <laughs> you see, when Yeshua said to the disciples, I'm going to make you fishers of men, I wondered if the devil just took that and said, yeah, well, I'm going fishing for men. Because what you find is that people are out there getting hooked on stuff. And when they get hooked on these things that they're hooked on, it's hard for them to shake themselves off that hook. Something enters into them and it causes them to give in or a lot of folks don't make it off that hook. They die in their addiction. Then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? He said unto him, Thou hast said. <laughs> yeah, it's you. And as they were eating, Yeshua took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remissions of sin. Now, I want you to see something that's happening here. When Yeshua makes these statements, that this cup and this bread, this bread is my body and this, this cup is my blood. Had he shed his blood yet? No, he's preparing them for what is going to happen. He hadn't shed his blood, but he spoke of it as if, you know, this is it. So again, th this is preparing them. But I said unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine, vine until that day when I drink it anew with you in my father's kingdom. And what day was that? After the resurrection. Well, why didn't he drink it? Because if it was the Passover, then, and him being the Passover, what is he saying here? I'm not going to drink. You know when he drank? 
on that cross. I thirst. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. So it's evening. They shared a supper. They sing a hymn. And then they go out to the Mount of Olives. Now, wait a minute. It's going into night. After this, we know a series of events will occur. Judas has to betray Yeshua with a kiss. Yeshua will be captured and tried by the high priest. Peter's third denial and the cock crowing. Yeshua taken before Pilate. It is here we find in John's gospel, John 18, 27. Peter then denied again and immediately the cock crew. Verse 28, then led they to Yeshua. They Yeshua from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment, and it was early. Early when? Early in the day. Early. And they themselves went not into the judgment hall. Why? Because they did not want to be defiled so that they could eat the Passover. Well, wait a minute. Passover is over. Or is it? And who is Caiaphas? Caiaphas is a high priest. He's the one who's going to be overseeing all this activity in the tabernacle amongst the priests who are preparing the Passover and they themselves have not eaten the Passover. And so they don't want to go into this Gentiles judgment hall because it was unlawful for them to go into the house or the judgment hall or the place of a Gentile. And let me read that to you again. And they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Translation. They hadn't ate the Passover. They didn't want to be defiled before the Passover. So they didn't go in. Yeshua goes in with them, but they don't go in. Pilate then went out unto them. So they're on the outside. He's inside judging them. He, he comes out unto them and said, what accusation bring you against this man? So the Passover had not occurred. Yeshua was sent to Herod, beaten, paraded through the streets and crucified at the Passover before sunset and the beginning of the day of unleavened bread, a Sabbath day. Continuing verse 31, then said Yeshua unto them, all you shall be offended because of me this night. He's saying that this night, tonight, this is after they eat, they left, they go out to the Mount of Olives. He's going to end up in the Garden of Gethsemane, which is at the foot of the Mount of Olives. And that's where he's going to be praying for three hours while the disciples are asleep. Why? Because it's nighttime. They done ate. They walked. And now it's prayer time and they are groggy. Says, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I'm risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter answered and said unto him, though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Yeshua said unto him, verily I say unto thee that this night before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter said unto him, though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise, also said all the disciples. Now, you know, those are some powerful words to hear. Some powerful words. And people come and they say, you know, I'm not, I'm not leaving. I'm here. I'm, I'm going to be with you to the end. And it's like, you know what? 
their intent may mean they may mean that. That may very well be in their be their intent and, until stuff happens. Stuff happens and people get a change of heart, a change of mind. All of a sudden, they got another word from God. Like, really? Okay. He changed his mind. Then cometh Yeshua with them unto a place called Gethsemane and said unto the disciples, sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. So you see here now, where is he at? He's in the garden of Gethsemane. If he's in the garden of Gethsemane and it's nighttime, and then Judas is going to come in the middle of the night, he's going to kiss Yeshua and that's going to let the guards know this is him. They're going to take him. Now it's morning time. They're going to take him from Annas to Caiaphas. And then Caiaphas is going to take him to Pilate. And in the midst of all that, Pilate is going to call for Herod because Herod's in town, just so happens. Herod's going to come in and have some questions for him. And Herod is going to say, hey, I don't, I don't, I have nothing to do with this. Pilate says, hey, you know, I wash my hands of all this. And then he tries to find another way out by offering Barabbas. <laughs> and he said, no, we don't want Barabbas crucified. This is the next day, the actual Passover, which is where he would be crucified. So I hope this made sense to you. I know many of you know this already, but it always helped to be able to fortify what you already know have the evidence so that when you have conversations with people, you know, you're armed with the evidence because I guarantee you between now and Passover, you're going to find yourself having this conversation with some folks. It happens every year, <laughs> every year. And I suspect this year will not be any different because there are confused people born every year. And then there are people who want to come out of the confusion but they're surrounded by other confused people who have come out and got more confused than they were when they got in. I can't tell you how many people I've tried to tell, you know, the Bible says you shouldn't be calling nobody rabbi. You know, we're not supposed to be coming out of here and then jumping into Jewish traditions. And you're not supposed to be, you know, you're not commanded to wear no kippah. You're not commanded to be tying, you know, to films. All of those are traditions of men. And then people, you know, they kind of move and find themselves, or they like the traditions. They like the traditions. Can I, can I let you in on a little something? Christmas time seems to be a beautiful time of year. It does. With all the lights, and it seems like there are people who get nicer around that time. Seems like around Christmas time, people get a little nicer. I don't know about the folks you, you come in contact with, but the folks I come in contact with, that's what I experience. And it's hard sometimes to, you know, you got nice people smiling at you. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. It is like, wow, it's so nice. How do I deal with that? Because, see, if I respond in like manner, they've just pulled me into something I'm trying to separate myself from. And I don't want to just bite somebody's head off because they said something nice to me and I'm going to retain response. Sometimes the best thing you can do is just smile at them and keep it moving. 
without saying anything. That's what I found myself doing. Unless it's somebody that I know I'll be in contact with and I can just tell them, well, you know, I don't celebrate Christmas. I don't do this, I don't do that. And if they're really interested in knowing, they'll ask me why. If they don't ask me why, I'm not gonna try to shove my explanation down their throat because they've indicated they're not interested in my explanation or they would have asked me for it. I gave them the opportunity, but they chose not to take advantage of it. <laughs> so I just keep it moving. Don't have to shake no dust. Just keep it moving. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You can find more inspirational teachings and download our free ebooks on our ministry website at arthurbaileyministries.com. Please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel Arthur Bailey Ministries, on Instagram at Apostle Arthur Bailey, on Twitter at Apostle Bailey, and you can subscribe to our YouTube page at Apostle Arthur Bailey One. If you're in the Charlotte area, please come and fellowship with us. We'll do our best to make you feel right at home. Our address is on our website at the About link under Contact Us. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, Shalom Saints. <laughs>